Dear fathers, we come before you today. We really ask that you may help us to understand your word to us. We pray that it would just not be a letter from Paul to the Thessalonians, but rather we would see it speaking to us as your word from Paul to us, and to understand uh, what it means to really live in this world before you, and uh, to align what your values are to ourselves. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, one of my uh, fondest memories uh, growing up was going to my grandmother's house at Christmas time. And my grandmother uh, lived in this really, really old house in Jalan Penimpin and Thompson Road. It was a single-story house. And as was the design of those old houses, she had this uh, really interesting grill which came across her porch. And at Christmas time, what she would do is, I don't know, maybe this is something that the older generation do, but I never see people do it anymore. She would take all the old Christmas cards that people send her uh, throughout the month of November and December and, and, and put each one of them on, uh, I guess, a space on the grill. Did you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that happening? I, I mean, the older generation, they, they, they always used to do that, right? So we would go there at Christmas time and the whole grill would literally be full of these Christmas cards, like basically tens and, and, and I mean like 50 of these Christmas cards all lined up there by, by people who would send her these cards. And I suppose that was because my grandmother was a teacher, so uh, a lot of her ex-students would be sending her Christmas cards. Well, we don't really do that anymore, but I think that uh, when we do send each other, I guess, our WhatsApp messages or our social greeting messages on Facebook, we always say things like, Seasons Greetings... And best wishes. Right? That's what you usually find in those Christmas cards or the messages that people send. Your season's greetings and best wishes. But I sometimes wonder, what do they mean when they say best wishes? It comes out like a very generic and vague and unclear thing. right? Is it the best wish that you could wish for yourself? Or is it the best wishes that they have for you? Uh, all the best for your family? What does it really mean, best wishes? What are the best wishes that someone could wish for you? Well, I think today as Christians, uh, when we look at this passage, it sort of asks us our questions. What is the best wish that we can wish for ourselves or for other people? What are those best wishes and what are they to be? Well, here in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, and the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, I like this uh, translation here because it, I think, translates the word uh, well in verse 17 when he says, we were <clears throat> orphaned uh, by being separated from you for a short time. I know the earlier version of the NIV says, torn away from you. And what he's really speaking of here is how, as we read last week, when they went through the region of Macedonia, as you can see in this map, okay, Macedonia's at the top there, when they went through Philippi, Macedonia, in the region of Macedonia and Thessalonica, which is in the red, and Berea. At each of these cities, they were forced to leave these cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, one after another because they were being persecuted by the Jews. Right? They would preach in the synagogue, people would believe, and they would leave. And this caused 
Paul and his four preachers, fellow preachers, great, great anguish in their heart. And that's why that word there in verse 17 is a very powerful word, isn't it? We were orphaned by being separated from you. A child is deprived of his or her parents, like a parent is, uh, I guess, heartbroken at the loss of their child. That's how Paul felt when he was forced to leave his spiritual children in Thessalonica. And indeed, in the early part of Thessalonians, when we read, that was how he viewed his relationship to the Thessalonians. Right. So if you look in chapter 2, remember how he described that he was gentle among them, like a mother caring for her little children. And he dealt with them, each of them like a father with his own children. So Paul felt great heart bereavement, grief, sorrow, uh, at being torn away at a very unnatural separation, a forcible separation from what he felt was his spiritual children. And that's why he felt an intense longing, it says there, to come back to see them. There was a great longing and he made every effort to see them. But again and again, as he tried to come back and see them, some obstacle presented on its way. And as a result, so persistent and so effective were these obstacles, he says there in this passage, that Satan blocked our way. Now we have no uh, way of knowing exactly why Paul said that Satan blocked his way, or what exactly Satan did to actively stop him from returning, and there's no point speculating, right? Because it's just not there in the passage, and we don't know from God's word, and Paul doesn't tell us. But it's very clear that, that Paul felt that there was something supernatural that was stopping him from actually getting back to be with the Thessalonians. But he doesn't give up hope in seeing them, isn't it? Because in verse 19, he says that there's this great motivation to want to go and see them, because they, it says there in verse 14, for what is our hope and our joy or the crown that we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now, for Paul, this great longing, this intense longing to see the Thessalonians comes about because he truly rejoices and glories and sees the Thessalonian Christians as a crown, as something that he can really be proud of. Now, we mustn't mistake Paul as sort of saying, oh, you know, in a very mercenary way, I sort of, uh, you know, you are like my objects of, 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 of uh, pride, right? Like, you know, medals that you hang up on the wall, or like something like that. Because definitely, as you read this passage, what comes through is the joy and the hope and, and the, 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 the genuine feeling of pride that comes because he's looking forward to when Jesus comes again and when Jesus comes again, he will be able to be glory, full of glory and joy at, at seeing them standing firm in Christ. Now, I remember uh, watching the Sea Games a lot uh, uh, the last uh, week or so on TV. It's, it's uh, reading about it in the newspaper. And who is the person that uh, has, has, I guess, won most of the gold medals for, for in, in, in uh, the Sea Games. Uh, so this Joseph Schooling, right? Okay? See? Now, now I, I know Joseph. Okay? Uh, I, I know his parents, and, and uh, actually, I've spoken to the parents many times. We used to go for dinner. And, and 
their pride and joy is in their son, right? When, especially when he wins and when he's swimming well, you can really see that they're beaming with joy. He's like their glory, right? They glory, glory in him. And I, and I think that's the, the sort of idea that Paul has when he talks about the Thessalonian Christians. He, he, the, the Thessalonian Christians are his pride, his joy, uh, the, the crown, the glory. He sees them in that way, but it is not in uh, winning a swimming competition that he sees in that way. Not that winning swimming competitions is bad, right? but for, for Paul, the most important thing, the thing that is all bound up in, is that they are, ha- they are standing in salvation when Jesus comes. That they have a living, vibrant, and vital relationship with Jesus when He comes. And that's what He's looking forward to. That's what He is joyful over. That's what He glories over. Now I think that as we look at this passage, uh, that is something that really strikes me as something that is really important for us, isn't it? Because in a sense, for Paul as he looks through things through the prism of eternity and God's perspective, what is the most important thing? The most important thing is, is to stand firm in Christ when Jesus comes. And that's what he glories in and has joy in, and that is his crown. And that's what he's looking forward to. I think that one of the, the sad things that I see is when, sometimes as parents, we, we looked at our children and we, we have all our hopes and our joy in our children and our pride and our glory, but, but it's all on earthly things. Their studies, their university, their exams, their career. But sometimes, and more than sometimes actually, we miss what is really, really important to have pride and glory and really look forward in joyful expectation that they will be standing firm when Jesus Christ comes again. See, one of the saddest things is where I, I see Christian friends who I haven't seen for many, many years and I ask them how their children are going and they're very justly proud of their children because their children are doing well at work or married or have, have gone to a good university or whatever. But then I then subsequently find out that they no longer go to church or they no longer believe in Jesus. And I, and I think that's actually a really, really sad thing. Because from the perspective of eternity, from the perspective of Jesus' return, then when Jesus returns, uh, what is there to glory in? What is there to be joyful over? Uh, Because the Bible does tell us that all the things of the earth, including our university degrees, our jobs, will all disappear in a flash of an eye when Jesus comes again. So I remember putting this picture up, poster up my my son's room. Actually, I got it from Wise uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp, uh, 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 sort of, you know, that little picture thing. He no longer has it there now. I think he has a picture of his children. But I, I thought it was, it was really, really uh, a good reminder, very profound. And uh, I put it up, and uh, my, I put it up my son's room, and I thought it was something that really I wanted to remind them of. You know, that actually, what is the day, what is real failure? It's not failure itself, but to actually succeed in things that don't really matter, right? Because that's what Paul is saying. For Paul, his whole ambition, his whole joy, the glory of what he's looking forward to, the Thessalonian Christians, is what really matters in the end, that they are standing firm when Jesus returns. And that's why in chapter 3, 
It says that, so when we could stand it no longer, uh, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, and spreading the gospel in Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would, we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Now, Paul's concern for the Thessalonian Christians was so great and so urgent and so pressing that he sent Timothy from where he was to go back to Thessalonica to minister to Thessalonian Christians. Now, if you look up here on this map, okay, Athens is down here. Uh, Thessalonica is up there. Okay, so those days they, they don't have budget airline, right? Okay, so it would be a considerable journey for Timothy to undertake and, and it would mean that Paul would have been deprived of Timothy's ministry, Timothy's friendship, Timothy's support during all this time. But yet, Paul felt so strongly in his love for the Thessalonian Christians that he was willing to sacrifice his own ministry, his own support, and send Timothy back to Thessalonian Christians. Now, the reason is, as we read here, was that he was worried for these Thessalonian Christians because they were being unsettled, it says in verse 3, by these trials. Now, what are these trials that they were going through? What was happening in Thessalonica that they were facing that, that got Paul so worried? Well, again last week, if you look at this slide, remember last week we had learnt that the Thessalonian Christians were suffering from their own countrymen the things, the same things that those churches suffered under the Jews in Judea. And that also, uh, these Jews had driven uh, the, uh, the, the Apostle Paul out of Thessalonica. So the trials obviously in Thessalonica seemed to be very intense because not only were there pressure from the Jewish people in Thessalonica, but it seemed like their own, their own countrymen, uh, the Gentile people in Thessalonica, were also persecuting the church. So there was, there was persecution and trials from two fronts, both from the Jews and the Gentiles. So no wonder Paul was worried for the faith of the Thessalonian Christians, because he was worried that the, that the tempter might tempt them and they would no longer be standing firm and the labors of Paul would have been in vain. Now, I think it's, it bears uh, looking at in verse 3 why Paul felt that they would be unsettled by these trials. And I think that that's what happens, isn't it? When you face persecution, you become very unsettled. The idea of being unsettled is the idea of uh, being disturbed or losing your confidence or being moved from a, a position where you have fixed yourself on. And I think that that's a very real thing, to be unsettled when you face trials. Yeah, I feel unsettled when I face trials. Right? All of us feel unsettled when we face trials. The things that you are so confident about, you may 
have to, you may feel the pressure to move from. Right? Because there is pressure and persecution and trial from the outside telling you, right, we don't like you like this, we don't appreciate what you're saying, we don't appreciate what you're doing, we don't appreciate what you believe, we would like you to move to a different position. So I remember this um, illustration that someone gave before, and I actually went to the YouTube, and it's true apparently, because they, they, were, they were showing on YouTube. So let me show you these two lines, right? Now, now which line is, is longer, uh, A or B? B, right? Come on, it's very clear, right? It's B, right? Okay, you don't have to think so hard. Now, in, these, in this experiment, what they did was they, 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 they got this guinea pig and put them in a room a bit like this with maybe about 10 other people. And, and unknown to this person, the nine other people uh, were told to choose A as the longest line. Okay, so even though visually, visually it's so clear to you B is the longest line, if you go and watch YouTube, I don't even know what you call it, but it's on YouTube, you can see all these people going, like looking around, thinking, hey, is, which is longer line? A, A, okay. And actually a lot of people actually will follow the pressure of the crowd and say that A is the longer line, even though it's really clear that it's B. And I think that that's the, the idea that's being given here, that, that, that the pressure from both the Jews and their own countrymen, the Gentiles, was making the Thessalonian Christians were very unsettled in their faith. They, they no longer had the confidence to, to hold on to their faith, to follow Jesus and to believe what they believed in because of the pressure that they were facing. They were being unsettled. Now I think that as we look at this passage, one of the things that really struck me, and I think is a lesson for us as well, is how Paul, when he sees his dear brothers and sisters in Christ and Thessalonica, being pressured in this way and being unsettled in this way, personally sacrifice to reach out to these people to strengthen and encourage them by sending Timothy. Because I think that if we acknowledge that each and every one of us here face and can fold under pressure, and because, as it says there in verse 4, very certainly all of us will face persecution at some time, then I think it's very important as a community of believers to keep encouraging and strengthening one another when we face trials and persecution and pressure. You know, I think one of the saddest things is that in the world that we live in, we, we see our Christian faith as an individual walk, that I'm only really worried about myself and my own Christian walk. But Paul is so different because for him... He sees himself as responsible for other people in their Christian world. Now I wonder for ourselves whether we, we actually care about other people when they face Christian trials and are in danger of losing their faith. Do we come alongside them and encourage them and strengthen them? You know, one of the saddest things, incidents I ever remember was I, was, I remember talking to this pastor and I shared with him about how I had a classmate of mine from theological college who pastors a very small church in Malaysia and he was having a very, very difficult time. And he was actually, I think, uh, possibly even thinking of leaving the ministry. And this very senior pastor basically just said to me, well, that's, that's like his problem, right? Now, now we'll see whether he takes his ordination vow seriously. And this person was completely unknown to this pastor and I felt, what an unloving 
attitude that was, isn't it? Because rather than saying, okay, let's sit down and pray for this brother in Christ who's a fellow worker, uh, let's, let's maybe write him a note and encourage him. He just sort of ignored him. And I think that's something like what we can do, isn't it? We just look after ourselves and our own faith, but actually God has given us a community of believers to actually keep encouraging each other when we are struggling and unsettled by the trials that we face. In verse 6, Paul receives good news from Timothy because Timothy, after going down uh, to find out what happened to the Thessalonian Christians, comes back with with really good news, right, in verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. They They have a vital, living, vibrant faith, right? And they're loving one another. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord comes. Lord Jesus comes of all his holy ones. Now, you can see and feel, right? It's a very feeling passage, right? Paul's emotions coming out on the pages, right? You can just sort of imagine him, like Timothy has come back and he's, in verse 6, we just now only heard it and now I picked up this pen and I started writing to you, right? You can feel how relieved he is that they are standing firm in Christ. In fact, you know, he goes on to, to speak in words which are uh, almost like, uh, almost too much, right? He says, now we, we can all really live because we've heard of these things. Right? Now we can, we can actually live again. You know, it's almost as if he's had this cloud of worry hanging over him all this while. And then now he's like the breath of life. And, uh, you know, now he's, 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 he's like, life is, is back to, to, to being living again right? and in fact he goes on to say that he can't thank oops he can't thank God enough for the joy that he has received in, in, in finding out that these Thessalonian Christians are still walking firm in Christ but what is really amazing is not just the joy and and the, the, the these overwhelming feelings that that Paul has but it's just that at the end of this section, he actually says that they are still lacking in some things. Right? It's really amazing because in verse 6 he says, look, Timothy has brought to us good news about your faith and love. But in verse 10 he says that he's praying that he may come to see them and supply what is lacking in their faith. And one of the things that they are lacking in their faith is that, is that their love is not enough. That their love may increase and overflow. And that they need to be living in a holy and a blameless way. 
Now, both of these things <clears throat> will be touched on a bit more next week. But I think that as we look at this passage, uh, we can't sort of help but feel that Paul continues to want them to grow in their faith, in their vibrancy, in their walk with Jesus Christ. Right? It's like, he's so relieved, he's so happy, but yet he still sees that they, they need to improve in their love and their holiness and blamelessness. Because he sees that the living, vibrant walk and faith that they have in Jesus Christ never ends, but continues to grow and grow and grow. And I think that as we look at this passage, it, it's, it's actually something which must really strike at us, isn't it? Because what it means is that in Christ, we never love enough, and we're never holy and blameless enough. We must keep growing in love, and growing in holiness, and growing and blamelessness. And even as you look at this passage, what Paul does seems to be so different from what we do. You see, notice here in verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking your faith. And in verse 11, 13, he keeps asking God to give them these things. So two things that are work here, right? The first thing is prayer, and the second thing is action. See, Paul does both those things. He keeps praying and praying night and day that they may love more, that they may be more holy and more blameless. But he doesn't just pray. He also wants to go down and speak to them and encourage them. See, for ourselves, I think we only sometimes do one or the other, right? We just pray and we don't do any action or we have action and we don't pray. But what is more important, I think, not just the prayer and action, is what we pray for. Do you pray that your love may increase and overflow? Uh, do you pray for other people that their love may increase and overflow? Do you pray for yourself that you may grow in blamelessness and holiness? Or do you pray for other people that they may grow in holiness and blamelessness? You see, it's a, it's a really wonderful image that Paul gives, but it's almost... An unbelievable image, right? Because when he says in verse 12, uh, which is up here, right? May your love increase and overflow. It's literally the picture of like a, 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 you know, a glass or a, or a jar which is just overflowing with, 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 with water, right? But it's not water which is overflowing, right? It's sort of like love which is overflowing, okay? Now, now, this is not something that you know you, you sort of see at some wedding or something, right? Okay, but this is something which is supposed to characterize Christians. But would you say that this is an image which characterizes you? That your love is overflowing. Is this something that you pray for yourself that your love overflows? Is this something that you pray for other people? that their love as Christians may overflow. See, I want you to read very carefully verse 12. All right, look at verse 12. Look at the words which are there on the page. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Now, if you look at those words carefully and you'll see what Paul is saying, he wants 
their love for each other and for everyone else to be the same as His love for them. And how much did Paul love the Thessalonian Christians? He loved them like a spiritual father and a mother. Right? He, he was willing to sacrifice for them. He prayed for them night and day. That was the sort of love he had for them. And that's the sort of love, that, that, that sort of overflowing love that, that he wants characterizing their Christian walk. And I think that's a real wake-up call for myself, isn't it? Uh, I love the people here at BDPC, right? And I think that it's very important as, as a leader, as a church leader, to love your people. Because I think the sad reality is that, I mean, there are, there are pastors who don't love their people. And they see their people as, uh, you know, projects or part of the job, okay? Or even worse, I've actually met some pastors who see their church members as like a means to, to an end, Right, so you know they target the rich people because they can contribute finances to the church, or they target the gifted people so they can contribute to the size of the church, or the powerful people so they can contribute to the influence of the church. And then when these maybe these people leave, they, they no longer love them or, or care for them. But that's not the love that Paul talks about, right? And that's not the love that is meant to characterize our love. We're not meant to love one another because of what we can get out of each other, but we're meant to love one another as part of our Christian walk, our vibrant living in Christ. Now, how do the people in the outside world relate to one another? Generally, you think of your workmates, your classmates, your colleagues, okay? I, I think they're, they're, I sort of thought about this for a second. I, thought, I think there are three different ways like, people relate in the outside world, right? Okay, so the first one is indifference. Right? People just don't really care uh, about each other very much. I remember I, I, how many, I've worked in three places before I became a pastor. And I think very soon after I left my workplace, within a few months, I sort of lost touch with everybody I worked with right? because we, we weren't really friends in that way. We were just sort of workmates. You know, people are just indifferent. It's like you do your stuff, I do my stuff. Okay? But that's not the way that we're meant to relate. We're meant to overflow with love for one another. Or maybe people outside relate with, with envy, right? So they look at each other and they see each other as competitors and they want to like compare with one another and, and want to be better than each other, right? Or uh, the last one, where people are just happy that you're not as good as me, right? Right? Because, you know, like I, I remember... Just last week, I was having a conversation with this guy, and this guy says, I'm smarter than everybody else in this room. Right? Uh, no, he wasn't a Christian, don't worry. It's not someone at church, right? Okay. <laughs> but but that's, that's, the way, that's the way that people uh, relate to one another. They're either indifferent, or they see each other as competitors, or they see each other as better. But I think that the Bible says very clearly here, that as we live out our Christian faith, as we look forward to Jesus' return, Paul's prayer is that they may overflow with love for one another. They may genuinely care for one another the way that he cared for them. And I think that's why it's so sad when I hear people sometimes who visit our church, church and maybe they've dropped out of their own church or they dropped out of a Bible study group somewhere and they say, oh, you know, when I left my church or I left my Bible study group, nobody cared. Nobody SMSed me, nobody WhatsApp me, no one called me. And I think that's a, it's a really sad 
sad thing because then we're not really living as Christians in love. Now the last thing here he said was that he really wants them to be strengthened in their hearts so that they may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Because he doesn't tell them to to be holy and blameless, but he wants their hearts to be strengthened so that they will be holy and blameless. And I think that what this means is that um, our holiness, our blamelessness doesn't work from the outside in, but it works from the inside out. Because I have a, a pure heart, right? So you can see the picture up here. It's just one of the pictures I got, right? Because you have a pure heart, it shows itself in holiness and blamelessness. See, you can always fake holiness and blamelessness. Right? I mean, you just put on an act when you come to church on Sunday and everybody thinks, oh, what a holy and blameless person you are. But, but that's not the, 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 the biblical or the, the Christian holiness and blamelessness. Uh, Paul prays that the holiness and blamelessness comes from the inside, the heart, out to the outside. And I remember how it's so easy for us, especially when we're Christians for many, many years, to give up a striving for holiness and blamelessness. You know, I think one of the sad things is uh, we sometimes feel we've arrived in our holiness and blamelessness. Uh, there was this ex-pastor I know, uh, David Burke from Orchard Road Presbyterian Church, and I remember how he shared with me once before, and uh, he's much older than me, right? So he's able to make this comment because I'm not that old yet. But he was saying that he notices that as some Christians grow old, some of his friends or people at church grow old, they actually, instead of becoming more holy and more blameless, they actually, in his own words, let themselves go. They let themselves go and they act in ways which are more uh, unholy and sinful. Because they're not actually striving to be holy and blameless. And they become bitter and harsh. And he says how encouraging it is when he meets older Christians, older men, older women, right, as Christians, and they keep growing in love and holiness and blamelessness. And what a great example it is in the church. Because as they keep growing, they're still striving to be holy and blameless. They're still praying for the holiness and blamelessness. I think that as we look at this passage, it shows that Paul still has the end in mind, isn't it? What he's really interested in is, when Jesus comes, you be holy, you be blameless, you be loving, you be strong in your faith, not unsettled. Because that's what really counts in the end for Paul. The question is for ourselves, are we having the same perspective as Paul. For ourselves, is what happens on that day when Jesus comes the most important thing for me? Am I praying about these things in light of what's going to happen when Jesus comes? My faith, my love, my holiness, my blamelessness. Is this something that I'm praying for others to do, to love, to be holy, to be blameless, to be strong under trial? Am I encouraging other people and strengthening them when I see that they're not doing these things?
Because I think that this passage shows that that's basically the obsession and the priority of Paul's life. And I think as Christians, his prayer and his aim is for other Christians to be like that as well. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we want to pray that we will have the mind of Christ, that we will listen to your word, that we will see that the glory, the joy, the crown of the last day in other people and ourselves is the most important thing. In fact, it's the only thing that really matters when eternity comes. Help us to continue to pray. Help us to continue to act in ways to strengthen and encourage other people so that they will be strong in faith, to be overflowing in love, to be holy and blameless because their hearts are strengthened. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves as well that we will never stop striving to grow in our Christian walk. That we'll continue to be strong under trial, to love and to be holy and blameless too. And that as a community of believers, we will help one another to love one another greatly, to be genuinely caring for one another, so that when Jesus comes on the last day, we as a community will be able to stand firm, to be able to stand because we have helped one another in prayer and through action. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.